Now, back in high school, many of you will remember going to prom. Maybe you spent way too much money getting ready for that special night. Probably you spent way too much time in front of the mirror. And, you know, like a decade later, you look at your prom pictures and you go, what was I thinking? What what did I pick out to wear or what kind of hairstyle was that? You spent a lot of money and a lot of time, you know. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, but we, we love celebrations. We love to get together with friends and loved ones and, and to have good times together. Um, do you remember when you were a teenager and somebody who was big stuff was having a party and you hoped so much that you would get invited to the party? If you got invited to the party, that meant you were big stuff too, right? But if you didn't get invited, well, you, you felt rejected. You, you felt kind of low. Well, this morning... We're going to think together about the greatest celebration ever, the most incredible party, and it's one that's ahead. It's just ahead. We, we really don't know how long it will be until this celebration comes, but it is going to be greater than any celebration beyond compare. By the way, did you get invited? Did, did you get an invitation? We'll talk more about that in a bit. This morning, we're concluding our series, Hope Rises. We've taken a a big picture look at the book of Isaiah, the major themes of Isaiah. Last week, we, we thought together about chapters 40 through 55, and we saw that God had a plan of sending the Messiah, the suffering servant, to come and to rescue people who couldn't rescue themselves. We saw the beauty of the gospel as spelled out in Isaiah Today, we're going to spend some time thinking together about chapters 56 through 66. The historical information in these chapters makes it difficult to know the exact setting. So what we can say is that this section of Isaiah was written to the people of God to teach about God's coming kingdom. We'll survey together 56 through 66, and then we're going to spend some time in the first few verses of chapter 56. As we survey these chapters, we'll see that you are called to live faithfully as you look forward to the coming kingdom of God. As we look at these chapters, we'll see that you are called to live faithfully as you look forward to the coming kingdom of God. As you look at chapters 56 through 59, you see the importance of living as the true people of God. God says that the people who are truly his are the ones who hold fast to him, the ones who walk with him. In the midst of Israel's sin, these chapters highlight the fact that God will bring redemption. In chapters 60 through 62, the prophets looking forward to the future blessings that God's people are going to know. The the coming of the Messiah is highlighted. God's protection and his blessing on his people are highlighted. Chapter 63 through 66 There's an emphasis on obeying God while waiting for the fullness of his kingdom to come. God will judge sin, but he promises a glorious future for his people. So these chapters remind us of the importance of living holy lives as we wait for the Lord Jesus. Let's look together at Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. And my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, 
the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuchs say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that cannot be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps his Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Our text gives three ways to live as we wait for the fullness of God's kingdom. First, obey God as you will experience the blessings of God. Obey God as you will experience the blessings of God. Look in verse 1. The prophet says, keep justice and do righteousness. In other words, do what's right. Treat other people the way that, that God would have you treat people. Walk in love for other people. Do justice. That is, in the way that you work with other people, let it be clear that you're a person of integrity, that, that you're a person of character, that you're a person who reveals the, the love of God. And do righteousness. That is, let your actions, your thoughts, your speech, all those things conform to the, the holiness of God, conform to the character of God. And then he says, for my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. And what God is saying in this passage is that you live this way because of my salvation. You, you see, I save you, and I, I save you so that you can live differently. I rescue you so that you can live differently. You will know my righteousness And my righteousness enables you to live out the faith. So so here we see this emphasis upon doing what's right, upon living as the people of God. And the fact that that it's God's grace, his salvation, that enables us to do just that. In in verse 2, blessed is the man who does this. This word can be translated happy. Happy is the man who does this. What's the idea that when we walk in obedience to God, when we walk striving to love him and and be close to him, there's a certain happiness that comes within our soul. Now, it's not the same thing as, you know, we... we, Get a, you know, eat a good meal, and while well, that was feeling, I'm, I'm happy that I had a good meal. It's a deeper happiness than that. It's, it's a happiness that's lasting and that endures. When we walk with him, we know that kind of, of, of pleasure, that kind of joy. He says, he, he goes on to say, the, the one who keeps the Sabbath. Now, of, of all the commands in the Old Testament, it's interesting that he picks this command to, to focus on the Sabbath. Well, I think one of the reasons that, that he does is because when we observe the Sabbath or when his people, the Jewish people observed the Sabbath, that was saying we're going to walk in the way that God said every single week. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna live our lives week after week after week honoring what God has said. So it's in a, in a sense to, to observe the Sabbath was to order their lives around God's commands, around the rhythms that, that God had placed in the lives of his people. He goes on to say that they will keep their hands from doing evil. Once again, there's an emphasis on the fact that God's people are meant to live out their faith. 
We aren't supposed to live in two worlds. If we know the Lord Jesus, it's not okay to live a life of sin and a life of doing life how we want to do it and then claim to belong to him. God is saying to his people, if you follow me, then you don't need to to have your hands mixed in with all kinds of things that are evil and bad and wicked. It's not okay. That's what he's saying. It's not okay for his people. But notice here that as we walk in him, there's a rich blessing. Now, I might ask you the question, what is it that you want out of life? What, what are you looking for? Now, some of you, um, maybe, maybe some of you teenagers might say, or some of you young men might say, hey, I want a new truck. I want it to have all the bells and whistles and all these kinds of things. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you got it. Or maybe you might say, you know what, I've been thinking for years about my dream house. I've got it all planned out. This is going to go here. We're going to have this. It's going to be amazing. Let's suppose it's yours. Or maybe you've thought to yourself, if I could just work and maybe get a few million dollars, maybe I could achieve that. Let's suppose the money's in the bank. What is it that you want out of life? Well, brothers and sisters, if you want something more than you want to know Jesus, you're aiming too small. You're aiming way too small because there's nothing greater, nothing richer than knowing Jesus and being close to him. He brings peace, a, a deep inner satisfaction that other things, as good as they can be, can never bring. C.S. Lewis, that masterful wordsmith of the last century, said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, when we love Jesus more and more and we draw close to him, there is where you find the good life. It's there. It's in drawing close to him. It's in knowing him. That, that's the good life. So, so let's think about these things in, in, in our own lives. Well, we need to recognize the greatest pleasures will not be found when we do our own thing. The greatest pleasures will not be found when we go our own way. They'll only be found when we walk close to Christ. So what changes do you need to make? What, what area of life do you, do you need to shift? Are you living for the wrong things? Things that, that are okay to have or possibly okay to have, but, but things that have, are taking your attention away from the thing that's the greatest from knowing him and obeying him and experiencing his blessings? Or are you living in sin? You're, you're doing it your way. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to run your life how you want to. Nobody's going to tell you how to do it, including the Lord himself. There's no life there. It is good for a while, but it does not bring the good life. Only knowing Jesus brings the blessings of the good life. All of that can be fun for a season. But God offers you something far better, friends, something far better. So ask God to help you see where you're at in your walk with him. Ask him to to give you a longing and a desire for him above all things.
So we've seen the call to obey God and to enjoy the, the riches of, of his kingdom, of, of knowing him, of being close to him. Second, turn to God as he will receive you. Turn to God as he will receive you. Look in verse 3. He says, let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord would surely separate me from his people. The foreigner is one who doesn't have a relationship with God by virtue of his birth, by virtue of his ethnicity. He wasn't born a Jew. He wasn't born among God's people. And so here, God says, don't let the foreigner say, hey, I'm separate from the people of God. Here are the people of God, but I'm separate because I'm a a foreigner. Don't let them say that. And he says, let not the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. Well, what was a eunuch? A eunuch was a a man who had been castrated, and usually for, for the service of a king or a royal court, a man who'd been castrated wouldn't have the worries of a family, and so he would usually be a good servant in that regard. Also, uh, a, a eunuch would, would be trusted to, to guard the queen and, and others in uh, uh, that situation. He, he would be expected to, to protect and, and, and not be a danger to them. And so um, these men would, would be castrated. This was something that, that was um, despised among Judaism. It wasn't something practiced among the Jews, but it was around other countries. And so here, the eunuch had been excluded. The foreigner had been excluded from the people of God. And Isaiah is saying, don't you think for a minute that the foreigner isn't welcome, that the eunuch isn't welcome. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. I'm I'm barren. It's no use. Verse 4 to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast my covenant. What's he saying? To those who are eunuchs, who follow me, who love me. Look at what he says in verse five. I'll give my house and within my walls a, mo- a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Now think about this. A, a fellow who was a eunuch had no hope of having a family, a single man, no, no marriage, no, no, no children, he has no hope of passing on land. And in Judaism, this was really important. You would pass on your land to your descendants. Had no hope of passing on his name. His, his name would, would disappear. And look at what the Lord says to that one who is barren, who loves me. Oh, he can come. He may not have land that he can pass on to his children, but make no mistake. Verse five, I'll give a monument and a name within my temple. I, I'll, his name will be carved up on my temple wall. He'll have a monument there. He, he may not have a place down here on earth, but oh, in the heavenlies, he's going to have a place. And not just that, he's going to have a name better than sons and daughters. His name isn't going to pass away. His name is going to be an everlasting name. Those eunuchs, those who are barren, who, who follow me, who trust me, who take my name, their name will be everlasting. In Isaiah 53.10, the suffering servant, Jesus, he was put to death as an offering for, for our sin. We talked about that last week. And the prophets said that his servant, again, which points to Jesus, would see his children, his offspring. Now, how? Jesus didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. And he was killed. How would Jesus see his offspring? Well, because the prophet's not talking about offspring who come from marriage and and, and biology, he's talking about offspring who are by the Spirit, offspring who turn in faith to the Lord Jesus and become a part of the family of God. And so what the prophet is saying here and what God is saying here to the barren, to the eunuch, to the childless, to those who have lost children, he's saying, you know what, you may not have a name that goes on, but I'm going to give you a name. 
I'm going to give you a name in my house, in my temple. You may not have land that continues, but your name will be carved right there. You may not have physical children who pass on your name, but no doubt you have a name that is everlasting. And there's an invitation in a sense here to the eunuch to be a part of God's kingdom, to be a part of God's work. And so can the eunuch, like Jesus, have children, though the eunuch has none? And the answer is yes. His children can have an everlasting name. Why? Because when we share the gospel with someone and we disciple someone, those become physical children. I mean, those become spiritual children of God. There's no one within the family of God who should be barren. We should all be sharing the gospel. We should all be seeing that people are having an opportunity to come to know Jesus and invited in the family of God. Now, in Revelation 3, 5, Jesus speaks of, one, of the one who is faithful, and he says, I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before the Father and before his angels. And one thing the eunuch can count on, and that is this, that his name, if he has put his faith in Jesus, is written in the book of life, and he has an everlasting name. What joy there is when we find our life in Christ. Now, what difference does this make? We're going we're gonna to get to that question. What difference does this make for all of us in just a moment? But let's look in verse 6. Now, Isaiah addresses the foreigner. Again, the foreigner, one by birth, who, who was not a part of God's people. He says the foreigner who, who join themselves to the Lord, who minister to him, who love him, who keep his Sabbath, who hold fast his covenant. What about those people who were not born among God's people? Well, look at verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain. God's saying, I'm going to bring these foreigners who have turned to me, who love me, who follow me, and I'm going to bring them into relationship with me, and they can be in my presence. They can be with me on my holy mountain not as second-class citizens. Look, they're going to be joyful in my house of prayer. They're going to be filled with joy. Let not the foreigner or the eunuch say I'm separate. No, no second-class citizens. And their worship's going to be received and, and accepted. And notice at the end of verse 7, he says that my house shall be a house for all peoples. All peoples, do you get that? Anyone who would come to him, anyone who would turn to him is welcome. What an incredible and beautiful, amazing truth. Now, interestingly enough, among the first converts among the Gentiles or the non-Jews is the Ethiopian eunuch. We see his story in Acts chapter 8 in verses 26 and following. This man is both a foreigner and a eunuch. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was a man who served the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. He served in, in her court, and he had traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home from worshiping, he was reading in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And he couldn't understand what he read. And God had prepared his heart. And what God did is he miraculously just sent Philip there to the Ethiopian eunuch to explain to him the gospel, to explain to him how he could be saved. And what we see is that that Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and, and becomes a follower of Christ. And we get a beautiful picture of the scripture that we're reading about in Isaiah fulfilled some 700 years after 
Isaiah gave the scripture. The eunuch and the foreigner welcome. Welcome in the family of God. So what's the point? The point is this, that any who will come are welcome. Any who will come or welcome who can be included among the people of God? Well, any who will come to Jesus by faith, any. Well, what if my past is really rough? What if, what if I've done a lot of bad things, things I don't even want to speak of? Can I come? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. You can come. If you will come, you are welcome. God invites you. The past need not hold you back. God forgives, God heals, God restores. Sure, we, we suffer consequences of past sins, but before the Lord, our sins can be forgiven and we can be restored. So yes, you can come. What about my race or my ethnicity? Is that an issue? No, never, never, never. It's never an issue. It's never an issue. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Anyone who will come can come. All peoples, that, that's what the passage says. All peoples. God created In his amazing majesty, peoples of all colors and sorts and kinds. And he intends for people of all colors and sorts and kinds to be gathered around his throne in the kingdom. You can see that in Revelation chapter 7. It's a beautiful picture of worship. All people can come. Now, a little over a year ago, the Queen of England turned 90. Now, imagine going to that party, to to that birthday party. It would be quite an elegant and classy affair. My gut is that most of us, perhaps not all of us, but that most of us would feel a bit out of, out of place in, in that setting. Be asking questions like, what do I wear? Where do I even get something that I could wear to the Queen of England's birthday? I don't have clothes nice enough. You'd be getting an etiquette book, looking and thinking, okay, which fork is it I'm supposed to use first? Or, or you'd be asking yourself when I'm finished with my meal, How do I set the silverware to indicate that you're trying to learn all that, figure all of that stuff out? It'd be pretty nerve-wracking to be in that setting. In reality, most of us probably would never have an opportunity like that. Why? Well, because you've got to have royal blood to get invited to a royal party, or at least you've got to be among the elite in some way. Regular, plain old folk are probably not going to get an invitation to the queen's party. But friends, that is not the case when it comes to the party of all parties. That's not the case when it comes to the celebration of all celebrations. You see, that glorious gathering when the king of kings brings his people together and ushers in his kingdom in all its fullness. Oh, that's going to be an amazing gathering. You don't have to be something big. You don't have to be royal blood. You do have to be covered by blood. And it's blood that's royal blood. You have to be covered by the blood of Christ. You see, when you have the blood of Jesus Christ covering over your heart and your life, your sins are forgiven. And you become a child of God. You become one of his offspring, one of his children. What an awesome message. Any can come. Anyone who will can come. All are invited to come. Let's think about some of the implications of this in our lives. 
First, we can say there are no outsiders in God's kingdom. There are no outsiders. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're his. There's no second tier. Well, you're down here. No, if, if you belong to God, you're, you're his. No outsiders. No, no people pushed on the fringe. Oh, that's just incredible. What a blessing. We can also say that singles or, or those who, who have no children or who have lost their children can find encouragement here. God's eye is on you. If you belong to him, your name has a special place in, in his temple. Your name matters to him. So what do you do if you're in that situation? Seek to, to have spiritual offspring. Seek to lead people to Jesus. That's what all of us need to be doing. All of us can have children in the Lord. And God calls us to that significant and eternal purpose. We need to recognize as we reflect on this passage that the gospel absolutely obliterates, destroys, wipes out any sense of racial or ethnic superiority. It just can't happen. The color of your skin cannot give you a foot up with the Lord nor does it make you less than someone else. That's the clear teaching of the scriptures. God will gladly receive the eunuch. He will gladly receive the foreigner. How do we come? Any who will turn to him in faith, he will receive. God will receive you too if you'll come. He he will receive you. You see, Jesus died on the cross and he made a way for those of us whose hearts are dirty and filled with sin and that's every single one of us. He made a way for our sins to be cleansed and forgiven. He took the punishment that you deserve. He took it upon himself and he died on that cross. He was buried and he came back to life conquering death. How do you receive this gift of eternal life that God offers, this opportunity to be a part of this grand celebration that's coming? Will you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith? You place your life in his hands. You turn to him in faith. The question that I have for you is this. Have you? Have you turned to him in faith? You can't be good enough to get to God. You must come in one way, and that is, Is through faith alone. It's often been said that God grades on the cross, not on the curve. And friend, that's the best news ever. What does that mean? God grades on the cross. The question is, does the blood of Jesus, does his death on the cross, has that been accounted to you? Have you called out to him and turned to him in faith? Has the blood of the cross covered you? If you're hoping that he grades on the curb and it's going to tell you, hey, yeah, you did good enough, Friend, I want you to know there's no way you can ever be good enough to earn a relationship with God. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can. He creates on the cross. The question is, have you trusted in the crucified Lord? Have you trusted him, the risen Lord? If you have, you've got an invitation. It's right there in your hands. So we've seen that God will receive you if you turn to him. Number three, Take hope as God's glorious kingdom is coming. Take hope as God's glorious kingdom is coming. Look in verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Now, we've been talking about this uh, God's holy mountain and his temple and the coming celebration. And here we get a glimpse that God intends to gather those 
those Jews who've been scattered out. And we know, you know, at this point, Jews have been scattered out all over uh, uh, because of uh, God's judgment upon the Jewish people. He says, I'm going I'm to gather in these Jews. But not only that, I have yet others to gather. And this is pointing to the fact that he's going to gather those who are not Jews who will turn to him. But what's he gathering them for? Well, he's gathering them for a great celebration. In fact, let's... let's uh, look ahead a few chapters, Isaiah 65, verses 17 and 18. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. What is happening here? This broken, messed up world. This world where, where the wickedness of our hearts, our sin, bugs us, drives us crazy, where, where we see just brokenness all around, that's going to end. That, that's going to be over. What a glorious day when all the brokenness of sin is gone. It will be joy unspeakable. The greatest of earthly pleasure, the greatest of earthly pleasure, friends, is but a hint of what lies ahead in Christ. It's a hint of what that great day is going to be like when God gathers up his people and the kingdom is realized in all of its fullness. Revelation 19.7 speaks of that wonderful celebration. You see, out of the brokenness of this life, the scriptures tell us that hope rises. Hope rises. Now, my kiddos love to go to see their, their grandparents or their grandmas. They, they love it. Uh, we, we have to travel up to Bowie, which is north of Dallas or Fort Worth area, and we can turn what ought to be a seven-hour drive with three kids into a 12 or 13-hour drive. I mean, it's, we're good at that. Now, my boy, any of you have been around him, he's not still for a minute. I mean, you can't get that boy still. He can't stand being buckled in a car seat. You have to watch him. He's always trying to unbuckle. And, and I mean, he can't stand it. You know, you got the potty breaks every 10 minutes, all of that kind of stuff. My kids even hate the drive from here to San Antonio. They, they don't like being constrained for that length of time. But right now, if I ask my kids, hey, do you want to go to Bowie? Oh, they wouldn't blink an eye. The answer is yes. It's always yes. Why? Because they know when they get to Bowie, it's going to be a celebration. Grandmas are there and aunts and uncles are there and cousins are there. It's going to be thrilling to them. There's a celebration awaiting. So it's a long drive, but it's worth it. You know, you know what grandmas do? Some of your grandmas, you know how that works. You give them whatever they want, don't you? And the kids know that. The drive is worth it because when you get there, it's good. Friends, you see what I'm saying. This life's tough sometimes. It's a wild ride. Sometimes it's just flat, heartbreaking. And yet, we can keep going because we know, we know what's ahead. There's joy unspeakable ahead for those who are in Jesus. We can endure the ride, even the rough rides. Yes, we can. So this broken world is not the end of the story. Things may not be right now, but one day they will. You may feel broken and hurt. You may wonder, has God abandoned me? Does he care? Look at this situation. How? Friend, I can't answer all those questions, but I can tell you this. 
One day your heart will be healed if you're in Christ. One day all of that brokenness, every single bit of it will be gone and it'll be replaced with a joy that is unimaginable. This life leads to a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, but take heart. This ain't the end of the story, thankfully. I'll to say something else as we reflect on this great celebration that's ahead, and that is this. Do all you can to get as many people there as you can. Do all you can to get as many people there as you can. Don't be content to go to that glorious celebration alone. No, take as many people with you as you can. Share Jesus with others. Be indiscriminate in sharing the gospel. Make him known. Let's get serious about reaching people here in our community. But not just that. Let's get serious about taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth so that all the peoples are gathered there around the throne. Let's give. Let's pray. Let's go that the gospel might be made known. Let's take as many as we can with us. So there's a great celebration ahead, bigger than any wedding or family reunion, bigger than a royal birthday party or an inaugural celebration, better than anything you could ever imagine. Think of the best food. What, some kind of steak that's grilled to perfection? In heaven, even better. Think about cake, the kind of cake that has the really great icing on it. In heaven, even better. Even better. The venue, it's going to be out of this world, breathtakingly beautiful. You're going to be so blown away that you're not even going to have time to think about Instagramming it. It is going to blow you away when you stand there before the King of Kings. The special guest, the Lord God himself. Oh, today we've looked at what the Word says about this great coming kingdom celebration. I'll ask you at the beginning, do you have an invitation? And if you didn't, friend, you do now. You have an invitation. It's right there in your hands. What what will you do with the invitation? Will you gladly accept the invitation to be a part of this grand celebration? Or are you going to try to trash it, throw it away? You got a notification. There's an an event that you're invited to. What, What will you do? Will you ignore it or will you respond Friend, I want you to know you can't toss this invitation. You can't toss this invitation. You can't just ignore this invitation. This is an invitation to eternal life. This is an invitation into relationship with the King of Kings. Friend, how will you respond to God? What will you do with this invitation? It's right there in your hands. God calls us brothers and sisters, to live faithful lives as we wait for the coming of his kingdom. And he invites you to be a part. Join me in prayer.